and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly why fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And in this episode, we are discussing Son of a Trickster by Eden Robinson. And... I am doing this summary live, so it's going to be an interesting synopsis, everyone. (laughs) So this story follows Jared, who is a teen that lives in what is now in Kitimat, I think, is the town. Jesse just shrugged. (laughs) So called British Columbia, um, the settler state of Canada, KKK Canada. It follows his adventures with his mom, who, you know... (laughs) Uh, sells drugs sometimes and I don't know there's a lot of smoking and drinking and shenanigans and there's also like talking ravens and like uh eternal beings that show up you're just trying not to laugh (laughs) it's okay you can laugh (laughs) it's a hard book to describe (laughs) there's a lot of temporal jumps it's like very poetic language it's gonna be a good conversation and it's like really hard to reduce the book into a tiny synopsis like obviously seeing as how I just f- fucked that up <laughs> <laughs> it was great it was perfect <laughs> we do want to give a content warning for discussions of self-harm suicide attempt familial abuse drug abuse and alcoholism this is uh, an intense episode with lots of this sorts of strong content so take care of yourselves before listening and feel free to skip and come back the next time this book is also on some young adult book lists um but i would only give this book to a pretty mature young person because there's a lot of violence and i would say this leans more toward adults so if you're going to give this book to a young person maybe check in with them before putting that on them (laughs) can i be a thorn in your side and just like ask a question are you playing devil's advocate? I would never. <laughs> I would literally never. So like, but then I'm I'm wondering then, does this get us into the terrain where like, if indigenous kids and teens are like, if it's old enough for the stuff to happen to them, like are white kids, then they should be old enough to read about it happening. You know what I mean? So I don't know. And I don't have answers. I don't dis- necessarily disagree with you, but he's like 15, 16 in the book. But that also doesn't necessarily mean that it's a young adult book. It's a difference in tone, really. Yeah. And I would say like the tone of this book and like the description that they go into for some of like the violent scenes and even some of the sex scenes are like written as if it were for adults um, as opposed to for young people. But I definitely agree that if black indigenous people of color are experiencing racism and like the things in their community that like kind of get glossed over or ignored then like white people should be reading about those things and that includes young kids so yeah I think it that's why I think this book kind of like toes that line between adult and young adult agreed agreed initial reactions Jesse lay it on us (laughs) This may come as a surprise to no one. (laughs) This book wasn't my favorite. I think when we read The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin, I spent most of the time confused. And I spent a lot of this book being confused, too. There were some places where I thought I knew where this was going and what was going on. But there were also a lot where I didn't. Since this is a trilogy, maybe more will be made clear in the future. Um, It wasn't super my thing. But unlike The Fifth Season, I think I would continue with this series because I'm interested to know where it goes. Um, just because there wasn't like 
a ton of magic going on here, but there was like a lot of character development. So I'd be interested to see like what happens with Jared and his family um, and the people around him. All right. All right. Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) I loved this book. Of course. (laughs) Exclamation points. Like the voice, the wordplay, the characters. It was fucking hilarious at certain points. I was laughing out loud. The time skipping, the like temporal jumping in the storytelling, the poetic interludes from like the point of view of trilobites that went extinct like a bajillion years ago. I loved all of it. It's a weird and disorienting read and I enjoyed it. So I'm going to pick up the other two books in the series for sure. A recommend if you like. I don't have a lot of recs for this book that I've actually read. So I did some librarianing. So kind of finding books that might go along with this one. Um, The first was Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead, which I think actually recently won an award maybe. Butter Honey Pig Bread by Francesca Iquayasi. Sorry if I mispronounced that one. Those two books kind of seem like they had like similar vibes. Um, lots of stuff like character development, maybe like minimal magic, but some of that going on. And then I would say Reservation Dogs, a TV show, which I have seen, I think written and directed by Taika Watiti, which just follows the lives of indigenous teenagers. I think that kind of goes along with this. Also deals with some heavy topics that while the show is about young people might not be best for young kids. <laughs> I really agree with the Reservation Dogs recommendation because it's like the it's also written by Sterling Harjo. When I was listening to this episode of um, I think it's Red Power Hour. It's by the Red Nation, this awesome indigenous podcast I'll link to in the show notes. But they were talking about they were doing like a deep dive into reservation dogs and got into like the characters and how it was. It's basically just like filmic analysis, you know, TV analysis from two indigenous from an indigenous woman perspective. And they were talking about how like the narration, it's like similarly episodic, you know, like you're focusing on different characters and different chapters of the series. And that's definitely what happened in this book. And then it's also like not necessarily in chronological order, which is also the case with this book. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those books that like I would love it as a TV show, even though I don't like love it as a book. And uh, that sometimes happens to me with stuff that's like, yeah, like kind of more character driven than like plot driven stuff. So like if this was a TV show, I would 100% watch it and I would probably also love it. (laughs) So why did we choose this book? This book was chosen by our wonderful Patreon patron, Gray. Hey, Gray. (laughs) (laughs) They are fantastic. Um, They post amazing book reviews on Instagram. So we'll link to their page in the show notes which I did ask for permission for before we started the show. Oh, that's a good Um, idea. Consent, everyone. (laughs) So yeah, check them out. Check out their page and their book reviews. Thank you for recommending this book. Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. This book takes place in our real world in Canada. So we often don't read books on the show that take place in our like real lived (laughs) world i mean you i've never been said to that <laughs> i just edit, edited faith taking flight and you <laughs> said the same thing well we got two in a row now <laughs> this book takes place in canada so i have like no frame of reference for that whatsoever because i've never been to canada i've never been i think i took a picture for this book and i took a picture of the snow because all i think of when i think of canada is cold north yeah <laughs> 
Some of Jared's friends and fellow classmates live on a reservation, but Jared doesn't. But there are lots of indigenous folks around him and like in his friend group and like in his community. So, yeah. Yeah, we spend a, a lot of time in Jared's house. It's it's a lot of going between different. It's almost like a TV show in that way. You know, it's like there's these different settings. Like sometimes we're at Jared's house. Sometimes we're at Dylan's house. Sometimes we're at the powder house, which is like some, I don't know, like house where a bunch of people live together but it's not jared's house even though jared's house is also kind of like that he lives with a bunch of roommates and he lives (laughs) in the basement and stuff like that but there is a lot of this like scene setting dependent on like the room that you're in or the the house that you're in there's not that many scenes that set outside that i remember Mm -mm. i mean i think there was like at the end when he's fighting that (laughs) i don't even remember (laughs) whatever it was at the end you know and his mom like comes and helps them Oh, that's right. He was f- he he got taken by some sort of like body snatching fake Sarah thing. Yes, I completely yeah, yeah, forgot yeah. about that. This is the part with the cannibalistic otters. That's right. Yes, that's what it was. I also listened to this audiobook and finished it like a week ago. So forgive me if I start forgetting like people's names. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I guess this kind of segues into my next point about how the material conditions are really ground you into the world of the book. There's like a lot of visceral storytelling going on, you know, what he's feeling or he spends a lot of the book like getting high or sometimes he's drunk or hung over. So like you're getting a lot of these like what it feels to be in Jared's body. And this other thing that (laughs) this made me think of was like the scene where Jared is filleting fish at his friend's house. What's his friend's name? Crash pad. (laughs) crash pad (laughs) he reminded me so much of cheese from reservation dogs oh yeah (laughs) cheese walks up and his first line is like hello my name is cheese my pronouns are he him his (laughs) which is so like sweet he's just trying to be a good person i just love it so much (laughs) but like so there's this scene where jared is filleting fish and it just made me realize how like fucking all the learned helplessness of settler colonizer culture you know because like most colonizers i would bet like can't fucking fish or hunt you know or like grow vegetables and feed themselves and just like holy shit we are in a bad way we got to change some stuff up significantly it's funny because i didn't like even think twice about this scene because i do know how to fish and i have done this before so i was just like yep this is what you do when you have fish (laughs) okay i've been fishing two times in my life i think and one time i was wearing overalls and i had to pee and i accidentally peed my overalls it was the worst (laughs) (laughs) because being outside is complicated when you're 11 and don't know what you're doing and also overalls make it very complicated it's true i feel like i could handle it now though i'm confident in my abilities i believe in you (laughs) fishing's not that hard and honestly like taking care of the fish afterwards not that hard either but i cannot count even like the many how many times i've been fishing it's so much fun i recommend people try it if they enjoy it if they like being outside and stuff next time i come visit We can go fishing. You can teach me how to not be so fucking useless. (laughs) It'll be great. (laughs) Oh, my God. Let's discuss all things magic. So Jared can see ghosts. Um, His mom is a witch. And then we learn that his dad is a trickster. The book doesn't have a lot of overt magic in the beginning of the book. But the second, like, half-ish of the book has more magic And I think the first part kind of like has sprinklings of magic that you don't really realize. Like when that guy gets on the bus and like 
he just like disappears and I was like oh magic but I think if you're just like reading it and don't realize there's going to be magic in the book you wouldn't realize that any magic was coming in until later I really love that you how you just described this because I just put together that yeah we're told we're getting the perspective of Jared and he's not like he doesn't know about the magical world and his mom you know later on in the book is like you've always been so like I don't know, just like thick gold when it comes to this. Like you just are not paying attention. So unaware. But yeah, I bet if we went back and reread it, I would find more moments of magic and recognize them as such. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's also, I, I, I really agree with you and I thought it was kind of cool and I hadn't seen it before about how like the, like the backloading of the magic, right. It just seems like it really, it's like a snowball, you know, and as it rolls downhill and gets in like gains speed, like there's more and more overt magic. So I guess it's just kind of following Jared's trajectory through the whole thing. But there's ape men. I was imagining like walking dead, like zombie things on the ground. I don't know. Like crawling around him. It's funny because they called them that. And I just imagine like, I just imagine like someone's ancestors back from the dead, like kind of like zombie looking, but they were also like people. I don't know why. I just imagine them as people. Oh, I was, I was very much like imagining some like gruesome walking dead scenario. Maybe like, like Neanderthals or something. Like they kind of (laughs) look different, but. And then there's also like these fireflies that are buzzing around Sarah's head, but they're really like interdimensional, ultra dimensional beings. And that I thought this part was hilarious. The scene where I think Sarah had taken mushrooms, right? Yeah, or like LSD, I think acid. But Jared like doesn't need drugs to like see to travel between planes is what we learn that he's doing, you know? Mm-hmm. I-, I don't know. There's just and he also sees like baby the dead pit bull who's farty. And smells bad. Yes. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I like that part with him and his dog at the beginning. But not it's the like scene uh... where his mom runs over the other dog. Oh, my, oh God. my God. And that's why this book might not be for kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Oh, and the nail gunning to the floor. The nail gunning. Yeah. See? Yeah. yeah. See? I think. Okay. 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 <laughs> Jared's maternal grandmother is also a powerful witch. And, no, his paternal grandmother. But all it's not his birth dad or whatever. And but I don't so I don't know about his maternal grandmother. We'll get to that. We'll get to Anita Moody later. Mm-hmm. And then also Sarah, Jared's neighbor and girlfriend slash friends with benefits is a witch. Jared like yes. tells her he loves her. He's a little yeah. bit more into it than she is. We'll get to this later. I think I guess. so. Yeah. <laughs> At one point later on in the book, Jared's mom says, to, "Jared's like, I just want to go back and ignorance is bliss. My way out of this, you know." And who hasn't felt that way before? That's so relatable. So relatable. She says, you may be done with magic, but that doesn't mean magic is done with you. And it's like, yep, it's all these protagonists in these stories, you know, try and run away from their powers and stuff. And we just always see them having to come back and face it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We have some, I guess, the trickster himself, Wigit, and his sister, Joacines. So I'm probably butchering that. Um, Apologies. I liked the Joacines because she's like, I imagined this like grandma driving a Cadillac and she's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know, just like teaching him the ways of the world. And yeah, we didn't get to see much of his dad, AKA the trickster. It was just that scene on the bus. Yeah. Or was there another one? No, there was another one. 
or he's probably talked in his dreams or been like plane jumping or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Don't we? Don't <laughs> we are not experts at anything that happened in this book. It's no very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing that um stuck out to me when they're talking about Jared's magic and his mom jokes that he has quote special needs magic and just there you go with the casual ableism, you know, and how it I don't know it permeates even like I don't even know what to say. I don't know. It's just everywhere. There were a lot of things going on with Jared's mom where I'm like, who says that? Who does this? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, uh, good and evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. And it's not going to be straightforward. Just so many adults in this book. I feel like from Jared's point of view, we're just not, not great and then to an extent i would say jared's mom and dad maybe we talk about this later i don't remember if i put it in but like his parents aren't great they're not taking very good care of him now i think there's a lot going on of it in there like systemically like where maybe they don't have the resources they need to take good care of jared and i really appreciated how we saw like at the beginning like when Jared's really little, um, he's like five or something. And like his parents are in love and they're taking good care of him. And just kind of the book doesn't like show the progressive breakdown of like the parent relationship and how that affects Jared. But like because we see him when he's little and then see him when he gets older, we can kind of see the effects of like how like when a marriage or a relationship breaks down when children are involved, like the children are affected by that. But yeah, his parents were just like not great. And I did not love them. And (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you should go live with your grandma. (laughs) But then his grandma kind of like ditches him too. So I'm just like, oh, man. Just like, why can't we have unconditional love, everyone? I mean, lots of like you were saying systemic barriers. And this is, you know, systemic violence and systems of oppression is what I would say is like background, you know. Yeah. And then probably like also like generational trauma going on too 100 percent. yeah that's something that i wanted to talk about in the next section but i can just talk about it now that like at one point jared's mom maggie talks to him about her mother's trauma going to the residential school mm-hmm. which is essentially just like an a genocidal tactic it's a tactic of genocide to try and erase culture and reprogram children but you just you know traumatize them beyond belief maybe the otters yeah (laughs) but like they don't feel as villainous because it's not like we're like fighting against them the whole book they're not like the darkling or something you know like where it's (laughs) but yeah they were trying to eat (laughs) (laughs) they got his toe they got his toe you know you can live without a toe you'd be all right (laughs) he survived he survived he's fine he's fine Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. Um, I really love this little, like, personality trait about Sarah, where she's always trying to convince people around her to decolonize their thinking around (laughs) gender, indigenous rights, and sexual freedom. So good. I'm like, bro, I bet you're really annoying in real life because, like, she's like made it her whole personality but at the same time (laughs) i'm like good for you but like maybe i'm not saying tone it down i'm just like 
pick your battles, you know? <laughs> As a friend, she would be annoying. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I thought I loved this part because it was just so like, you were it transported you there like you could Mm -hmm. see the interactions and like see the eye roll and like feel you know these people in real life exactly (laughs) and she's like always bugging jared and her gran and the teachers at school you know she's like why can't we bring up fracking to the teachers and they're talking about like well it's a violation and she's like well it's also about violation of treaty rights and she's just like you can tell that she's the adults around her are out of everyone around her is out of their depth when it comes. She's like yeah. not talking to other people on her level about this topic of decolonization. She's just like trying to drag everyone into the future with her. And with the high schoolers, you know that like if she was like a nerdy little boy, she would have been beat up like so many times. <laughs> it made me laugh when she was talking to Jared about like not typically being into cishet guys. And he's like, so you're gay? And she's like, there you go. Thinking in Western binaries again. I know. And he's like, she's like, do you listen to a goddamn thing that I say? That's hilarious. So good. He just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. <laughs> he hasn't had his mind decolonized. He doesn't. You need to give him the like materials to get there. So, <laughs> oh, he needs to follow some memes, meme yeah. accounts on Instagram <laughs> or some shit. Oh man, but there is like so in between this like humor and the like actual really tragic shit that's going on. Sarah says something that I think is really truthful, and she's like, "We are all supposed to pretend that we're okay and that we don't secretly hate ourselves." It gets to like the the ideological and the like ontological violence of whiteness and white supremacy and colonialism. Yeah. Sarah is wise beyond her years, if not a bit annoying, but (laughs) yeah, this is a hard thing. I think for kids, for young people, especially to like kind of deal with these big ideas about who we are and that we all are going through it together. You know, you can tell that like the the idea of indigeneity in the book is like interpolated by these conversations about like blood quantum and like what makes a person indigenous enough or white you know so like sarah's is talking about how her mom says that she's mostly white her dad's white her mom's half white and then gran sarah's grandmother mrs jacks i believe i think so is the next door neighbor jared's next door neighbor And then Gran also lost her status, referring to, like, tribal enrollment membership status when she married a white guy, the Czech guy, who's got Alzheimer's or dementia or something. I don't don't know. I just thought I would put this in here. Jared strikes me as this sort of soft boy, B-O-I, who does a lot of care work for those around him, especially his elderly neighbors, the Jackses. And he goes and stays with them when his mom was the various several times that his mom hasn't been around i loved and really connected with this part of jared's personality i just think that this work is undervalued and underappreciated and often seen as like not work at all yeah but i i love this part i love a soft boy yeah and it's like a lot for a kid to take on as well i think actually in the uk they call them child carers and they Mm. get compensated for this (laughs) oh well he definitely should get compensated i know i know so i didn't know that that was a thing i'm totally gonna look that up yeah yeah i saw it on a episode i think of russell howard uh about child carers and like speaking about that it's this book really digs into necessarily because of the characters the intersections of coloniality and ethnicity and race and class because we mostly are in settings with poor and working class folks 
let's talk a little bit about drugs and alcoholism. Yes, so we both, need uh, to address <laughs> the elephant in the room. <laughs> uh, both of Jared's parents use drugs, as does Jared. And there's a lot of drinking by Jared and those around him. Um, at the end of the book, we see Jared taking part in Alcoholics Anonymous. But throughout the book, we see Jared losing time and not remembering what's going on because of his drug and alcohol use. Wow, I do think that both drugs and alcohol can be used in a way that is responsible and doesn't lead to the same outcomes that Jared experiences. Both should probably be taken with some thought about the effects, how it'll affect your life, and with a greater level of maturity than Jared is at in the beginning of the book. All of this is made more difficult because Jared's parents don't take great care of him, like we talked about earlier, um, because of their drug and alcohol use. So my thoughts on this are kind of informed by my own childhood experiences, but I feel like these things should be handled with greater care when there are kids involved, like in real life. Um, not that the the book doesn't handle them with care. I think the book is kind of showing that like when kids are involved, you probably need to think twice about how everything you do in, impacts what's going on with the kids that you are responsible for taking care of. Yes, it definitely has a ripple effect outward. And we see that mm -hmm. with, you know, Jared has, you know, role models for certain kinds of behavior. Yeah, his, even though his mom and dad that he grew up with aren't together anymore. Yeah, his dad is addicted to opioids and his mom, you know, used meth at one point, but then is also trying to get clean or like to back to quote unquote safer substances like alcohol and and weed but like i appreciated like how much airtime this issue got you know mm -hmm. because i don't think it's i mean not something that i've seen in a lot of books for this age group well not age group but like books with protagonists this old i guess you know yeah. he's 15 yeah, and 16 in the book but he's probably some of these are probably flashbacks or different moments when he's even younger than that just because we don't get like a chronological accounting of time but it's like it's not judged necessarily in the way that the author is like presenting sobriety versus non-sobriety. And it just it felt very honest. Yeah. And I think we see like Jared, he's kind of taking care of like his stepsister's kid <laughs> because his stepsister, like Jared, wants to like, you know, go out and have fun and do fun things, which obviously that's reasonable for any person of any age to want to do. <laughs> but like, you know, that if Jared had younger siblings at home with his mom, he'd be like taking care of them full time as well. Yeah. There are repercussions for parents' actions. <laughs> and just kind of pointing to like the parentification of kids and youth when they're in these mm -hmm. sorts of situations. Yeah. Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. I mean, maybe Sarah and Jared. I like both of them, but I don't know if they're like good for each other. <laughs> I think they basically trauma bonded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Those can be powerful relationships, but we got, if you're not like going to heal and grow and make that space for them, then they probably aren't like long lasting relationships Agreed. but I guess I don't know like I'm not in their heads I don't know <laughs> I like the honest sex and makeout scenes where we're having discussions of consent although there were some like dubious moments because lots of drugs and alcohol involved at various points but it just again like with the drugs and alcohol conversation very honest very like I don't know I could imagine it happening not necessarily to me but like the moment just felt very real 
Yeah. And I actually appreciated that Jared's mom was always like, I mean, I don't think she went about talking about it in the, the best way, but she's always like, do not get someone pregnant. Do not get someone pregnant. She's like, are you using condoms? Are you having safe sex? Et cetera, et cetera. Very responsible. It means that we know that she had a talk with Jared at some point being like, you're not old enough to be having kids right now. So don't do that. I think this is good that you brought up Jared's mom because like he and Maggie have interesting sometimes like what am I trying to say they have very wishy-washy or changing boundaries about Mm, stuff or like Maggie doesn't really have any maybe Mm -hmm. I think it's funny that they're actually like pointing to this in the book like they have conversations like Jared's like boundaries mom (laughs) like stop She reminded me so much of my mom, and that's why I think I did not like her. Oh, really? (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Well, and, like, Maggie has lots of different boyfriends around, and the one that she, like, David is the the one that seems the most, like, buttoned up and, like, quote-unquote nice, but he's the one who's actually, like, really fucked up and is just an abuser and is, like, beating Jared up, and he talked... And then the nail gun. Oh, my God, the nail gun. Again, when you have children, your actions (laughs) will affect them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm like, Maggie, what are you doing? (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, she just... um, A bit of a mess. She's Yeah, she's a bit of a mess. And obviously, some of that's coming from her own trauma. And she has some things she needs to work through. And she had Jared at a young age, which doesn't always equate to, like, being a bad parent, obviously. But for Maggie, I would say it equates to being a bad parent (laughs) or something in there has led to her needing some parental assistance of some kind, someone to help her. And like Jared's just kind of in this middle of this web of relationships and he's being pulled Mm -hmm. all these different ways, you know, and is worrying about managing all these different adults emotions, essentially. Yeah. And that's just not what a kid needs to be doing. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. When we first meet Jared, he's like five and he cusses so much. (laughs) And I love when little kids and babies say bad words. It's the funniest thing to me. Oh, my God. I just loved it. Uh, I loved it. There is some magnificent swearing in this book. Like, really top notch. Yeah. It is an art form. I know. And in that vein, I really like, I think I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I really like that we get these depictions of Jared when he's little so we can just kind of see, like, how his life has progressed, Um, even though it's just, like, these very small parts at the beginning. I really liked it. Oh, I have a story then for you about kids that swear. Okay. (laughs) Well, first, my partner's oldest brothers, his first word was bullshit. Nice. Supposedly in the family (laughs) lore. And then, so this, this guy's kid now is six. And he was um, talking about needing to go get his younger brother from daycare. And my nibbling was like, rolls his eyes. He's in the backseat. And he's like, it's going to take six fucking hours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I just loved how it was used. So so perfectly so perfectly just woven and then no so my my brother-in-law was like okay so you can 
is talking about like the context like you don't use those words at school but you can use them at home and at grammy and grampy's house <laughs> his parents so house. funny so it's hilarious if i had kids i'd be like use it wherever you want fuck those people i tell you, you can't <laughs> fuck what's called tone policing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh so funny yeah did you uh by chance look at the about the author i didn't it was really funny it was one of the best that I've read in a long time. It was like pithy and weird. And she talks about giving up a two pack a day smoking habit while writing this book and thus Oof. made her character suffer in return. And I'm like, I can see that. It's all making sense now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me hear. Where is it? Let's see. Okay. Here, I'll read it. Heisla slash Heisluck novelist. I probably pronounced that wrong. Um, Eden Robinson is the author of a collection of short stories written when she was a goth called Trampolines. <laughs> Her two previous novels, Monkey Beach and Blood Sports, were written before she discovered she was gluten intolerant and tend to be quite grim, the latter being especially gruesome because halfway through writing the manuscript, Robinson gave up a two-pack-a-day cigarette habit, and the more she suffered, the more her character suffered. <laughs> Son of a Trickster was written under the influence of pan-fried tofu and nutritional yeast, which may explain things but probably doesn't <laughs> isn't that hilarious solid solid so yes. funny right i just loved that and i was like i want to be i want to sit down and have tea with you you sound like a funny funny person i just like could wrap myself up in all of those poetic sections about trilobites and shit and the like we're made of stars and all this stuff like i'm like yes give it to I me i just this rolled my, my eyes sexual so orientation <laughs> <laughs> my and my spiritual orientation Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sarah makes fun of Jared for having Nickelback on his iPod touch and just Respect. like back <laughs> to Sarah, I mean <laughs> to Sarah, not Nickelback. Yeah. Just like kind of serendipitously come across some posts about people finding their old iPod touches and re-listening to music that they had in their adolescence. And I'm curious if we have any cringe moments to discuss, to use the lingo that the kids are using these days. <laughs> Would you like to start? Um, hmm. She put the question there and didn't even think about no, it. No, I, I honestly didn't think about it. I'm like, but because like we've talked about like the fact that my guilty pleasures, I'm not guilty about them or like ashamed of them, you know? Yeah. I well, don't know. There was okay. a lot of Disney songs probably on my iPod yeah. touch, which is a little embarrassing. On my iPod touch. Actually, I didn't have an iPod touch. I didn't have, I didn't a have an iPod touch either. But most of the music is like kind of the same now. And I would say I have like fairly eclectic music taste. So I made like this playlist for a long trip to the East Coast and it has a lot of punk rock on it. You know, like every single MCR song ever. Obviously. Rap. So like Childish Gambino, Jay-Z, Eminem, love them. Country, Dixie Chicks, Brad Paisley, like the musical from Book of Mormon, like <laughs> Toko soundtrack uh moana soundtrack like like under oath like i just like a lot of different kinds of music and i don't feel bad about any <laughs> no nickelback though right oh my god no <laughs> i listen i've been listening to a lot of like electro pop recently okay yeah i just listen to whatever i like and i do not care exactly and i have been like that for a long time i just people are gonna make fun of me and i'm just like and that's fine i mean maybe i played whatever. hey there delilah too many times on my ipod but like whatever <laughs> i could live my whole life never listening to that song ever again it was so popular so bad so bad uh, yeah <laughs> 
Before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way or did it make you interrogate a concept or system or trend that you hadn't before? I wrote something. <laughs> Lay it on us. Okay, so here's a quote from Nana. I don't remember, like, you know, the grandma who's not his grandma. I don't know what page it's on because I listened to the audiobook. But um, she says, you are now responsible for the crappy decisions of the grown-ups in your life. This is so important to know as a kid. So if you have kids in your life, maybe just tell them this, even though, even if you don't know if they feel this way. So again, I say this with experience of abuse and alcoholism growing up, but like if you're a young person listening to this right now, I hope you know that you are not responsible for the decisions or feelings of the adults in your life. They should be taking good care of you, both physically and emotionally. And if they aren't, that is not your fault. And I hope you find adults who can help you find a better situation or a safer place to be in. Just all the love to people who are struggling with parents and adults in their life. You really shouldn't have to. So, yeah, there's my my real talk. I'm going to turn my emotions back off. Finger hard. I'm done. I'm done. Thank you for addressing our audience with such care. You're welcome. <laughs> Kelly. Well, now I feel like I shouldn't read mine because yours was so tender and fucking like transcendental and shit. That's supposed to be your thing, Ugh. so you can just pretend it was yours. <laughs> I picked a quote, obviously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's got a decidedly different tone than what you just heard, so maybe. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is on page 130. And it's from one of these like interludes that are in italics. In the end, our bodies are meat. They rot in the ground or burn in the fire or are pickled in their own casings, displayed like wax fruit for family and friends to weep over. Our bodies are transitory vessels built from recycled carbon like every other living being on this planet. Bits and parts of you have probably been a cricket or a dinosaur or a single blade of grass on the prairies. I'm just always for a more than human like perspective. That's just <laughs> like I'm here for it. I love it. And so I love this part. And just think I should have that, known you would love those chapters. <laughs> you probably knew when I when you were reading it. You're like, oh, Kelly's going to love this shit. I'm like, yes, transport me to the astral plane with your words. <laughs> and she did a great job with it. Card questions, Jesse. Card questions. Where are our sound effects? It's canon now. It's like a part of the show. No, just I don't know. knock over the microphone. Was there too much or too little detail? There you go. Thinking in Western binaries again. That's what I have to say about that question. I would say some parts too much. Like, I don't think I needed all the in-depth details about Sarah's self-harm and like mm. the, what is it? The gun thing? The nail gun? Nail gun. That's what it's called. Like, or the dog getting ran over. I'm like, I oh, didn't the need dog. as much detail in those areas. But that's just me. <laughs> Is the book realistic? Yes. Yes. And? There's a lot of magic, but like, I don't know. Maybe there's magic in the world. What do I know? What do I know? <laughs> Is the story driven more by the plot or the characters? Characters. Yeah, I agree. 100%. I'd be interested to see, though, like you said, where it goes in the next yeah. books of the series because it was like a very slow burn with the magical system. And I'm, I'm curious how it will unfold. 
Yeah, like it's not super long. Let me see. I do have the book, even though I listen to the audiobook. Yeah, it's only 360 pages, 16 pages. And I feel like, honestly, it could have been shorter. Like, I almost feel like, I guess I don't know where the next book goes, but like this almost feels like a prequel. You know what I mean? Like a book that comes out after the rest of the series almost to like tell you like what an origin story. Before. Yeah. Anyways, I'll probably still read the rest because I do really want to know what's going on with Jared and his wild family and friends and, and shenanigans. interdimensional travel. Yeah, it's just, it was very interesting. I know I didn't like love it, but I'm also like very intrigued. So You're willing to be challenged. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't use the word challenged. I would use the word like, I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone. Okay, okay, that's good. <laughs> Meeting your growth edge. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of A Psalm of Storms and Silence, Hello Alliteration, by Roseanne A. Brown. As always, we would love to be in conversation with you guys. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments, which would be like an interesting change from all the spam comments we get on the website. <laughs> and you can also reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at The Library Coven. You can subscribe to the Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice. And we'd, we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad people out there. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. And stay masked. <laughs>